world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. This was Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the nuclear bomb and one of the leading scientists in the Manhattan Project. These words ran through his mind as he watched the first detonation of nuclear weapon in the New Mexico desert. My name is Zita Harkaran and welcome to Sadna and Books, a podcast about spiritual practice and wisdom. While this podcast is intended to be listened to, there exists an experiential part of Sadna and Books on Patreon. We practice early morning sadhana and lead book discussions. If you feel called to join our community, I would be very happy to welcome you. This is part three of Bhagavad Gita, in which I will discuss chapters 9 to 13. Here we meet the dark side of Krishna. We learn who is the most established in yoga. And completely, totally, seriously, we learn the secret to immortality. Previously, we learned about all types of selfless action, reincarnation, the power of meditation, dharma and karma. In these next few chapters, Krishna takes Arjuna even higher and he introduces him to the Raj Yoga. He shows himself to him in a cosmic vision. And as I said, he shares this really important secret to immortality. But let's take a look. Chapter 9. It's called The Royal Path. Once I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson say he doesn't believe in God because he can only believe in things that he has seen and can prove evidence of. And he's not alone in thinking this way. This kind of thinking would be highly offensive to Krishna. Um, And the process he calls the Raj Yoga. At the beginning of chapter 9, Krishna says, quote, The immature do not look beyond physical appearances to see my true nature as the Lord of all creation. End of quote. However, truly great soul seeks my divine nature. For Neil deGrasse Tyson, To look for God in the physical reality that it's always changing is contrary to what God is. God is constant presence that has always existed throughout all the ages. He does not live in the physical reality. He's beyond it and within it as well. 
So in order for Krishna to show what the highest path is, he needs to put himself in a proper position. So he kind of sets the record straight about who he is. And he says, I am the mother and the father of the universe. Quote, I am the goal of life, the Lord and support of all, the inner witness and abode of all. I am the only refuge, the one true friend. I am the beginning, the staying, and the end of creation. I am the womb and the eternal seed. End of quote. How can you find this in through science or through microscopes looking <laughs> in the universe? It might sound as if Krishna is really full of himself. But he is trying to point Arjuna to the royal path and the true worship. And that is the worship of the essence of life. So when he says that you need to worship me or to you need to find me in everything, it doesn't mean that you need to be Hindu and to practice Krishna mantras and singing praises to Krishna. You can be Christian, you can be Muslim, Sikh, Buddhist, doesn't matter. Anyone who worships the Lord of all, the creative of all, the essence of all, the energy that lives within everything and belongs to nothing. And so this is what you need to focus on. This is how you reach, that's how you walk the royal path. How do you do that? You can do that by offering anything that comes to your mind and and give it to Krishna. Offer whatever is in your heart. You can even offer your own suffering. And you never need to think you're too low for him, that you are too in invisible, too unimportant. Quote, But those who worship me come to live in me, and I come to live in them. Isn't it beautiful? And isn't it just like what Christ said in Bible? There is a verse that says, quote, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. To end the chapter 9, Krishna says, Those who worship me and meditate on me constantly, without any other thought, I will provide for all their needs. Chapter 9 Divine Splendor To continue with the theme of merging religions, I am going to start with the Mool Mantra, which is the opening verse that begins the 1430 pages of Guru Granth Sahib. Mool Mantra translates roughly to There is one creative God or energy which is true, it existed in the beginning, without birth, without death. And this is very similar to what Krishna says in chapter 10. Whoever knows me as the Lord of all creation, without birth or beginning, knows the truth and frees himself from all evil. And those who worship me and understand and live this truth can live without karma, 
meaning their ignorance is destroyed and light begins to rule their lives. End of quote. The meaning and the purpose of the Mool Mantra is exactly the same. Arjuna is curious. How do I meditate to have the constant awareness of you? It seems almost impossible, right? There is a beautiful story of uh, Way of a Pilgrim, it's called. And it's this monk or pilgrim that travels through Russia and he learned to have a constant prayer on his mind. No matter what he's doing or talking, he always has a prayer in the back of his mind. This is kind of, I guess, similar what Krishna is trying to describe here. So, the way Krishna responds is, he says, quote, I am the true self in the heart of every creature, Arjuna, and the beginning, middle, and end of their existence. So, don't believe that he is existing somewhere outside. First, you have to know that he exists within you that God, that consciousness. And he goes on to name number of specific things and people. So he says he's like a lion among the animals, thunderbolt among the weapons, Himalayas among the mountains, and syllable Om among the words. Even he gets a little tired of naming all these things because he names a lot. But he says at the end, I'm quoting Krishna, just remember that I am and that I support the entire cosmos with only a fragment of my being. End of quote. Only a fragment. Chapter 11. Cosmic Vision Let's enter the world of spiritual vision that Krishna presents to Arjuna. We won't be able to see it as Arjuna does but we will be able to tell a lot from his reaction. This is one of the darkest parts of the Gita, and this is the part that Robert Oppenheimer alluded to when he saw the nuclear test. In this cosmic vision that Arjuna is perceiving, he sees that every single thing in the universe is contained within Krishna. Quote, I see infinite mouths and arms, stomachs and eyes. You are embodied in every form. He sees the radiance of thousands of suns emanating from him. Even minor gods feel shy to look at Krishna directly. He sees Krishna wearing a crown, carry a mace and a discus. Arjuna can also see all warriors gathered at the battle, rushing into the demolishing fire of Krishna's mouth and being gnawed by the terrible teeth. Quote, all creatures rush to their destruction like moths to the flame. Arjuna is trembling with fear. He bows in front of Krishna and asks for mercy. He also sees all the time that he spent with Krishna and maybe he was disrespectful to, to him or he didn't see this 
beautiful divine nature. He didn't see his greatness. Krishna is forgives him. He's like, don't worry about this. But this is when he says this powerful line, which in Iswaran translation is as follows. Quote, I am time, the destroyer of all. I have come to consume the world. Even without your participation, all warriors gathered here will die. Therefore, rise, Arjuna, conquer your enemies and enjoy the glory of sovereignty. I have already slain all these warriors. You will only be my instrument. End of quote. What a vision. At the end, Krishna is pleading with him, please show me your nice and gentle side once again. Chapter 12, The Way of Love. This is a short chapter that starts with Arjuna's question, who are the most established in yoga? But what's really behind this question is, who are the most pleasing to Krishna? This is once again when Krishna brings up the ideas of letting go of earthly pleasures. Because if your main goal in life are earthly pleasures, it is inevitable you will also experience earthly pain and suffering. Like automatically creates dislike. But if you want to connect and feel part of all creation, if you want to feel like you belong, if you want to live in the highest state of bliss, you need not only to see what's pleasant and nice, because that is refusal of the opposite, of the distracting forces that are also part of Krishna. If you say, oh, I only like Krishna in his gentle form, that is you are refusing the other side of him. And that's not totality. But how do you do this? And here Krishna offers few options. (laughs) The highest option is you can practice focus on the creative energy of Krishna. Be aware of that presence, the self within you, as that special frequency that connects you with God. Your second option is to meditate and reach that transcendental frequency during your meditation, let's say for a few hours or so. Basically, like training your mind, right, for that frequency. Your third option, lower, if you cannot do that, then at least do selfless service. Because the selfless service can bring you fulfillment. And if even that is not possible for you, then you have fourth option, which is to discipline yourself and renounce the results of your actions. Don't be, don't be screaming, I did that, or why did that happen to me, and all of that. If you want to belong to the creator of everything, you can possibly feel attachment to one particular thing, which is part of his creation. All that focus on Krishna and on God can seem like he's some kind of a totalitarian God. But he is basically just trying to explain You cannot belong to me if you cannot hold this focus within you. If you get swayed into some kind of emotional states, 
because they create automatically a repulsive energy that takes you out of the realm because his energy is inclusive of everything. So if you don't like something in there, you get pulled out. There is a reason why people reincarnate on earth. Some want to spend time with their family members and want to have more joy or they feel there is a little bit of that that they want to repay to them. Others feel like they want to experience great love. Someone else might feel like they want to belong to a big family. Someone else wants to reincarnate to be a ruler of the world. Someone else might want to reincarnate to serve others. There are many reasons why people reincarnate back to earth, not knowing they can have it all at the same time if they do this, quoting, I'm quoting Krishna, that one is dear to me who runs not after the pleasant or away from the painful, grieves not, lusts not, but lets things come and go as they happen. End of quote. And end of chapter 12. Chapter 13. The Knower and the Field. The first time I read this chapter, I didn't understand it. Reading it for the third time, I had a flash bulb moment that got me literally feeling high on awareness. <laughs> so, who is the knower and what is the field? In Sanskrit, the verb to know is jhana which, when it is pronounced a little softer, can start to sound like no, like jnana, jnana, no, 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 right? So these two words are cognate. In Latin, the word for no is sire, which is translated as scientia, which means knowledge, ahem, science. Now, the con Consciousness is actually made of words of con, which means with or inside, and science, con science, consciousness, that's how it, so it's the, the knowledge that you have within yourself. And so the knower means the consciousness. And the field is everything that the consciousness perceives, starting from the body, emotions of the body, what the body perceives in the world as well, and the rest of the universe. This is what Krishna says at the beginning of this chapter. Quote, I am the knower of the field in everyone. I am the consciousness that exists in everyone. This is a fascinating chapter because in it, Krishna answers the age-old question that many scientists and philosophers were and still are asking. And that question is, what is the relationship between the body and the consciousness that is perceiving it? Buckle in for a little bit of technical explanation. Krishna says there are five elements, uh, earth, water, air, fire, ether, that have Indian philosophy corresponding terms of five tattvas. Then we have five senses and five organs of action. 
And we also have three minds, manas, buddhi, and ahamkara. So minds are also part of this physical world, physical, we could say, the creation. These elements and minds work together to identify and sort the energy that's coming from one source. So the way I see it is as if you have a machine in which you have like a, you can put all your change that you have collected over the years. Maybe you have changed from different countries. Maybe you have changed just from US. Maybe there are some rocks there. Maybe there is some dust or whatever other strange little pieces. And you take that change and put it in a machine let's say you put it in an American machine, and then it sorts it out and it puts cents and nickels and dimes and quarters in a separate little uh, containers. These sense organs and these tatvas and the minds as well work the same way. They basically take that one information that's flowing through the consciousness flow that is all one and they separate it into category separate it into the positive mind category oh I like this or they separate it into oh this is color red oh or they say oh this is uh, a pleasurable emotion okay so this is how this world is organized but the consciousness is one and through our body, which is conductor for this energy, we then translate the desire, pleasure, and pain. So the interesting part is that you put in, in your collection of change, you have also maybe change from all over the world, maybe from Mexico, maybe from Europe somewhere. And the machine doesn't know what to do with it. So it spews it out. The same way, your consciousness, if it doesn't know what to do with that information because it never had, uh, it doesn't have kind of like a category for it, then it just leaves it out, right? Out. It does not see, it does not... And then there might be change that also gets sorted in these categories, but it becomes kind of like a junk. So that is our unconscious. That is something that your body just uh, took in, but really doesn't belong anywhere. So it's resting underneath in the unconscious. To seek knowledge and to focus on looking at the 25 cents and what is it made out of and looking at 25 cents and being like, oh, that's better than a nickel and uh, weighing it and all of that. That's like uh, looking for ignorance. It's totally ignoring the bigger picture. Instead, if we want to look for knowledge, we really need to look higher above these uh, categories that we have within us and look at the source. That's where the knowledge is. This everlasting energy is in everything and everyone united. It only appears separate 
it's like a light which shines from one place but all of a sudden can get separated into rainbow or it can be separated into microwave light and ultraviolet light and so on but or or even when we look at the world right we see there are red colors and green colors that's again one light that is separated depending on what the object is so that's why so many sages so many wise people say that everything is one it is just vibrating at the different frequency so for you to seek knowledge you need to seek this light of lights dwelling in every heart right the knower is the consciousness the field is everything else that is existing outside of this consciousness so now this is just to kind of set the background for the true knowledge that Krishna is going to drop on us and he generously offers truly tangible answer on how to reach immortality he says uh, Krishna says it's when one begins to understand how the separation of elements and minds and senses is created and how the separation is changing the picture which is actually just picture of the one and the same that's when you begin to understand that's when you begin to have knowledge and you never have to be born separate again what is the key to immortality Krishna says that immortality lies in the ability to stay connected to the center that never changes while at the same time perceiving the play of changes it's similar to what we do when we meditate where we can stay completely still within be connected with ourselves with the capital s calm and peaceful yet at the same time still perceive our breath still feel the air still feel maybe that we are hungry still fear uh, hear the people around us still hear the sirens and the cars and all of that be aware of everything yet within you you are completely calm and in the center this is when krishna also talks about purusha and prakriti we study these terms in yoga and uh, i don't think they have been explained to me very well but i i did understand it now by reading bhagavad gita prakriti is basically uh, it's basically all the material reality the whole universe the, uh, everything that we can see touch and see, smell and um feel and think about and all the minds the gunas the tattvas all of that that is the reality that always changes it never stays still and then within that prakriti there is purusha and purusha is the that which is connected to yourself your consciousness within you and that is that stillness 
that is within everything, the essence in everything. So when you practice meditation and you can get in touch with that state within you, with that vibration that is calmness and stillness within you, you are actually tasting the immortality. You are actually tasting what it is to feel at the end of your life. Because when you die and you are focused in the center of yourself, in that space that you know through meditation, then you can see your body transform, you can see your body being born again, and you can actually see and keep the memories of this life into next life. And you can stay in that state. And in that way, reach immortality. There are also stories about yogis in India and uh, in old wise men in Siberia that um, live and had memories of other lifetimes. They just kind of transfer their consciousness into another body. That's possible. Because these are the true secrets that were known for thousands of years, yet no one believes them or tries to live them. This is the truth hiding in a plain sight, and we are always distracted by something else. We don't believe it. We don't buy it. And just by you not buying it, then you refuse what the truth is. We are looking for some kind of immortality of the body, and that's just totally contra-indicative to look for that because the nature of the prakriti is to always change the nature of the body is to always change which state of your life would you want to be frozen in 20s, 30s, 40s I don't know personally I like changes, I like evolution this chapter ends with this quote as the sun lights up the world, the self-dwelling in the field is the source of all light in the field. Those who, with their eyes of wisdom, distinguish the field from its knower and the way to freedom from bondage of Prakriti attain the supreme goal. End of quote. And this is it for this little episode on Bhagavad Gita. I will continue next time with chapters 14 to 18. And uh, it's going to be a little bit more in this line. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to journey with you. If you are curious about something, if you have any questions, you can always email me at zitaharkaran at gmail.com. Um, you can join our Patreon. I'm also on Instagram at Zita Harkaran. I am um, on YouTube, of course. You can find me and lots of my videos there. And Twitter at Zita Harkaran. 